Hello and a warm welcome to the very first episode of our podcast series Crafting Your Writing Career Paths and Possibilities brought to you by the Learner Me team. I am Mahua, your host, and today we are privileged to have a distinguished guest with us. She is an award-winning and best-selling author, Shutapa Basu. Before venturing into the world of writing, Shutapa had a successful career in education and she also gained valuable experience in the corporate world. Her literary work includes both fiction and non-fiction and she has even delved into the art of translating Bengali literature. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Shutapa Basu. Thank you Shutapa for gracing us with your presence today. Pleasure to be with you and with your the learner me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us Shutapa. And let me start with setting a context for our conversation today. We are exploring potential career path for individuals with strong writing skills. With that in mind, what factors should one consider when contemplating a career as a book author? Additionally, what is the earning potential in this field? Of course, everybody can be a writer. But as you said that, whether they need some kind of potential, one that they should feel um, the need of telling stories. Mm-hmm. Whether you're writing a fiction or a non-fiction book, you're always telling a story. So, you know, that passion for um, telling stories, for the language, the passion for words, I think these are the things that actually make for a writer because the creativity is something that is always inside you. The way you express it is what makes you a writer you know, how you can create worlds with those, that creativity and with words is what makes a writer. Many young writers today begin their journey in school or during their college studies. What advice do you have for these aspiring writers who may be considering writing a book? Okay, while there are, of course, techniques of writing, there are elements uh, that need to be addressed when you're writing. As I told you, creativity is something that you're born with. Nobody can really teach you creativity, but you can always hone uh, the creativity that that is inside you. So if it's a, a child, you know, if it's a person who's still in school, I would tell that person that to be more attentive, maybe in their English language classes, so that they understand figures of speech, they understand how writing can be, you know, plain vanilla and how it can be made more interesting by using metaphors, by using other tropes, you know, language tropes, like similes or alliteration and so on. So how can that be done? So they can start by paying, I mean, this is all taught. This is very much a part of the English language curriculum in a school. The only thing is that need to pay more attention and write more. One of the main things that I tell every writer, whether that writer is a young person or an older person, is to write. So the best way is to keep a time of the day when you will write and write daily. Strictly be a part of that discipline and write daily. Because other than being creative, other than using your imagination, other than writing anything the way you want to with your style, saying what you want to, there are other things that are very important if you want to be a writer. I mean, if you want to pick this up as a profession, one of them is to be consistent. It's very easy to write, just write one story or a one paragraph in a day, but to consistently do it every day is something that a writer needs to learn and writer needs to uh, self-discipline themselves. It's very important. Discipline is very important because 
let's come down to it. Writing is not a hobby. To become a writer, you really need to work very, very hard. So you have to be ready for that hard work. And the best way to give you that habit of hard work is to discipline yourself and to write every day. So when you write every day, what happens is obviously you will write better and better as you keep writing. No doubt that there will be days when you will feel, oh my God, what have I written? This is utter nonsense. But still, the fact that you've disciplined yourself and you have written something that particular day, take it as an exercise, a practice. The next day you might write something beautifully. The other thing is that consistently writing for range of time is something that will come only when you keep practicing it every day. So that is the reason you need to practice every day. And the other thing that is very important for writers is to read. Because when you read, you will be able to hear the voices of other writers. You will be able to analyze their styles. You will be able to analyze narrative. And you will not copy them, definitely not copy them. But that will give you an idea as this is the way, this is the technique that other writers, established writers, good writers use. Of course, there are many courses. There are online courses. There are offline courses that any aspiring writer can take. There are a lot of organizations which are holding these online courses and they're very good because they teach you the basic techniques of writing. And while, you know, writing is a creative kind of endeavor and you need not follow rules, but as they say, you need to know the rules to break them. So it's good to do a writing course so that you know what are the rules and techniques of writing. Personally, I have always enjoyed the content of stories as a reader, but I admit I rarely delve into the technical aspects of writing. Also, you have raised some interesting points here, consistency, self-discipline, and an extensive reading habit. I can vouch for it how important is maintaining consistency and self-discipline, especially when you are your own boss, because there's no one to keep you on track or hold you accountable. And if you're not disciplined and consistent, there is every possibility of missing crucial milestones. So I understand that. And um, yeah, I also understand that reading is important because you have to understand the diverse writing styles. So uh, Shudhapa, next question to you will be, do you think it is feasible to earn a substantial income from writing books quickly or is it a gradual process? That requires time and effort. So monetarily, I will not say that writing really makes a lot of money. And you will find many news reports about writers who have been paid huge advance royalties and who have claimed a lot of royalties. Well, they do appear as news because that is news. That's not what commonly happens. No doubt that uh, most uh, mainstream publishing houses, when they accept your uh, manuscript and uh, I mean, they will publish it as a book, they do sign up author agreements uh, on the basis of royalty. So that is one way that you can earn money out of your book. But it's not very easy to directly approach publishing houses. So there are a lot of literary agents whom you can approach and they will take your book. If the book needs some more work on it, they will advise you on that. And they will pitch your book to these mainstream publishing houses, whether it's Penguin, HarperCollins and all these houses. Then when they pitch it to them, they will also negotiate your royalty with them. So what happens when you go through a literary agent? Because the process that the literary agent follows is that a percentage of your royalty, once a book is sold, comes to them. So obviously it is in their interest 
to uh, pitch a higher royalty for you. So maybe a literary agent will be able to negotiate a better royalty with these publishing houses than, than the author himself or herself. But if you still want to, you know, send your manuscript, submit your manuscript directly, every publishing house has a website. So you can directly submit your manuscript on that. But you need to be very patient because they do take some time, quite a bit of time, in fact, to get back to you. So that is uh, one way that you can earn money through publishing. The other ways that you can earn money is once your book is published, then you get a lot of invitations for speaking assignments. So that is another way that uh, you can earn money as a speaker, maybe about your book, maybe about the theme, maybe about the, the field. Uh, in which you have written your book. So obviously, if you are writing something about a particular theme or a topic, you are an expert at that. So you would be called for speaking assignments and definitely you can earn money that way. Another way that books can earn you money is through doing reviews. So a lot of people opt for paid reviews because if your book is on Amazon or even if uh, you know your book is reviewed in the magazines or in the dailies, obviously the sale of the books you know is high. And therefore a lot of reviewers are taking in books. They don't charge too much, but they do put up their reviews on these uh, sites, on the online sites where your book is going to be sold, as well as you know in newspapers and magazines. So if you want to be a reviewer, not just an author, and a reviewer, you can also earn money that way. So these are the various ways you can earn money. And of course, you can train. So like I said, that there are many courses that are there for aspiring writers. So if you feel that you have enough knowledge and expertise, you can also run a course for aspiring writers. And uh, you can teach a lot of universities now are opting for a creative writing course. And they do take on, you know, guest tutors who come and they take the course for their students over there. So that is another way that you can earn through your writing, your creativity and so on. But yes, all this obviously happens when you have established yourself in the writing community as somebody who can speak, who can train and who can teach. And one beautiful way of doing this are these multiple literature festivals that are being held all over the country. So when you are invited to a literature festival, I mean, I'm not talking about uh, the Jaipur Literature Festival only. Literature festivals are now being held in every state, in universities, and a lot of organizations are holding the literature festivals. So if you are there and you are speaking there, then people get to know you. You know, you're visible to the people who are a part of that community. And so from that, obviously, you will start getting assignments as a speaker. You will get assignments as a trainer and so on. So it's all um, a part of the same uh, community, the same world, the same network. So different ways of earning money, not just by writing books. And you also touched on the importance of public speaking and self-promotion. And I was wondering, would writers instead prefer solitude? So, uh, I mean, I can't agree more uh, with what you're saying about writers, because writers are basically people who are thinkers. And you can't think in a crowd. You need peace. You need serenity to make your mind space start, you know, moving, start uh, juggling ideas and so on. So they are ideating people. They are not people who, for the sake of a better word, I would say market themselves. 
So they're not those kind of people. And that is what makes you into a writer because you are able to ideate, because you're able to be creative. So I totally agree that, um, you know, even I as a writer would like to sit in one corner and just write. But the world today is such that despite being a creative creation, I would say, the book has also become a product. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a sad thing, but that's the truth. And if you are unable to uh, showcase your book showcase yourself as a writer you will lose the audience and everybody's attention span has become so short that they get so easily distracted by things that are happening around them especially i would talk about the visual media we are also right now on visual media but the visual in the sense films or videos or uh, otts have distracted people from reading Mm-hmm. So unless you project your book, your creation as more interesting, more absorbing, more engaging than what is happening on the screen, it's very easy for people to move away from your book. That is the reason for the visibility. So this is a constant debate between publishers and authors. Authors say, why is it that we need to, uh, you know, be so visible? Why do we need to promote our book? You as publishers should be doing that. And publishers do it. It's not that they don't. They definitely do it, but they need the author's help consistently. So it's important for you also to be articulate. So what happens is that you really need to divide your time. So if you are a full-time writer, you need to divide your day into this much time I'm going to write and this much time I'm going to either be on social media, I'm going to create a blog or I'm going to have a website which I'm going to constantly populate or I'm going to be you know, putting up posts on social media, answering posts on social media and doing maybe online interviews, coming out with a newsletter every month or something where your readers are constantly engaged with you and your work. That is what is important. So engaging in significant self-promotion becomes a pivotal aspect of the author's journey. While writing the book is undeniably one part of the equation, it's equally vital to connect with the audience through various means, ensuring that they not only discover your book, but also become familiar with you as a writer. Absolutely. And the latest is podcasts. I have spoken to authors who are very much into podcasts and they say that their books are selling much better after they have started doing the podcasts. Okay. What do they talk about in the podcast? They talk about their book. They might talk about the theme of the book. I'll give you an example. You know, my book, this is the one which won the award. So this book is about Nadesha as an invader of India. So if I do a podcast, I will do a podcast on the historical period when Nadesha invaded India. What was its consequences? What were the causes? And how that event had a effect much later, maybe today. So that is how a podcast helps. So basically another means of engaging with the audience. Absolutely. So there are now various means of engaging your audience. Uh, an author has to take advantage of those means. And plan your day well. Absolutely. So you need to write as well. But at the same time, you're writing may not always be the manuscript that you're working on. It could be a blog. It Mm -hmm. could be a post. Everything is writing. And as an author, you will make it creative. You will make it imaginative. So anything you write, you will be writing. Yeah, but since there are so many different types of writing involved, 
the different kinds of manuscripts and engaging with the audience. Do you think uh, if you don't plan well, one might get distracted? Absolutely. So I always have a schedule for my day. I give myself deadlines. So if I'm writing a manuscript, I will give myself deadlines that I will finish one chapter every day. Okay. So those deadlines I give myself, I uh, make sure that I do some amount of marketing every day so that it becomes a kind of habit. If you have not done, done a post or not done anything, you will think something is missing that day. So you have to make it a part of your routine. Another very important thing that all authors must build up among themselves is resistance to criticism. Mm -hmm. As a writer, you need to be always humble. This is what I believe. Because we are working in a creative zone, there is no end to learning. And whenever we get a critical review or somebody has said something which is negative about our writing or our book, instead of closing our mind to it, uh, we need to learn from it. All criticism is constructive to a creative person because you may be thinking in a certain direction and when the criticism comes, you will realize that, oh, there is another direction in which I could have thought. So you might then move in that other direction if you're open to that criticism. So always work with an open mind. Always be open to learning. The more one, you know, refines one's craft, the more one hones one's skill as a writer. So that is another very important thing for a writer. Yeah, this is really important, especially in today's digital age. With the social media platforms, the anonymity you get, it is extremely easy for individuals to come and express their thoughts without affording you the opportunity to provide any clarifications. So yeah, mastering the skill of discerning what feedback to embrace and what to discard is of utmost importance for writers. Absolutely. So if there is absolutely pure trolling, just ignore mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important. Otherwise, you'll get impacted very badly. As someone with experience as both an editor and an author, do you still work with editors when collaborating with publishing houses? Absolutely. I believe that editing is a very important part of any book development. Mm -hmm. Now, you're right. I have been an editor. So it's true that when I have completed my final draft, uh, obviously, being an editor, you know, I would edit it as well when I'm doing my final draft. But I would always let another pair of eyes go over it because there are so many things that I would have missed since I cannot be as objective as a reader because I'm too close to my story, too close uh, to my manuscript. The other thing that I often do is to give my final draft to a beta reader. So a beta reader is a person who, you know, will read my manuscript like a reader, but will point out gaps in the plot will point out that the speed is slow or the speed is too fast or there is inconsistency, you know, or the language is not matching the period, which happens sometimes in, in historical novels. So a beta reader is extremely useful for me. And usually it is a, you know, an, maybe another author, a friend who, because it takes time to read a manuscript and then analyze it and then put in your comments. So I usually approach my author friends or I approach another editor and let that person beta read my book. And that has been, I cannot tell you how valuable it has always been to me. So there have been beta readers who have told me, just change the ending. It's not working. And I have changed it. And the book has done well. 
And I will always say it is because of the beta reader's contribution. So that is one thing that I always do. And then one, once my final draft comes, it definitely goes to the editor. And I, I always tell the editor, please go ahead and tell me anything that you think that's not working in the book. So they do come back to me with feedback. And most of the time I will discuss it with them and I will definitely implement it. You spoke about two things here. One is working with an editor and another is working with a beta reader. So within the realm of publishing, various types of editors come into play, such as development editors, copy editors, managing editors. Can you help us understand the specific type of editor you typically collaborate with when in the process of writing a book? Okay, so usually every publishing house has an editor. So when the first draft goes to uh, the editor, the editor will do developmental work on it, which okay. means the editor will make sure that the plot is flowing the way it should flow. There are no inconsistencies in the plot. There are no gaps in the plot. The editor will check the characters. Is there an incon inconsistency in the character in maybe the way the character has acted earlier and the way the character is acting later? So is there a kind of uh, mismatch in that? So every character would be checked. The settings would be checked. Supposing the book is set in Mumbai and I'm talking about a particular part of Mumbai, the editor will go back and check whether that particular building is there or not there. Do people speak this way in that place and so on. So that the, the entire atmosphere, the ambience of the book comes through with its setting. So that is what is development. Development is not looking at language not looking at grammar or, you know, the syntax and so on. So that is developmental editing, where you're looking at the main elements, the plot, the character, the setting, the conflict, very important, the conflict. How is the conflict moving in the story? Because the conflict is what makes the story move forward. So is it progressing or is it static? What is the speed of your story? Is the story moving at the right speed? Is it becoming, is it dragging in some places? Are the descriptions becoming too long? So those are the kind of feedback that comes in the developmental stage of editing. The next stage would be copy editing. So copy editing is when they will check, you know, the language, they will check the grammar, they will check a syntax, they will check the dialogue to see whether they are falling in place, right? So that is what will be copy editing. And the final stage is proof reading, where they're again going through that entire manuscript, which has been developed, which has been copy edited to look for lapses, which may have been missed out by the editor. Now, a lot of publishing houses, whether it's educational publishing or it is academic publishing or it is publishing for retail, which is the fiction and nonfiction publishing, there are actually three kinds of editors. So you have a developmental editor, you have a copy editor, and you have a proofreader. So the book actually is supposed to move from one editor to the next editor and the next editor. The advantage in that is that there are three pairs of eyes which are looking at the book. So by chance, if uh, the development editor has missed out something on the character, the copy editor can catch it. Mm -hmm. If the copy editor has missed out something in language or in the accuracy of the grammar, the proofreader will catch it. So at the end, when the book is final, we have a book which is error-free. That is always the aim and the purpose of every publishing house that a book that is going out under my brand, under my label, goes out into the world as an error-free book. Traditional publishing has its merits, but there's also a growing trend of online and self-publishing. 
what are your recommendations for aspiring authors in terms of choosing between traditional and the newer options available? So I have myself worked with traditional publishers. So maybe I would be more inclined towards them. But what I have noticed is that people who are in the highest rank of authorship, whether it's India or abroad, are mainly authors who have been published by traditional publishing houses. At the same time, a lot of traditional publishing houses, they will publish a book in print format and also publish it as an ebook because obviously there's an audience for the ebook as well. So a lot of people will pick it up as an ebook and also as an audiobook. So my this book, Nadesha, has been published on Kindle as well as in the print format. So you have a choice of picking it up on any one of them. And a book like this one, First Inheritance, which is a thriller, has also been published as a print, as a Kindle book, as well as an audiobook. And in fact, it has been published in the Hindi version, not even in the English version as an audiobook. So anyway, traditional publishing houses also publish in all these three formats, right? Okay. Now let's come to self-publishing. So self-publishing, there are two kinds of self-publishing. One is, of course, the online publishing where you are publishing an ebook. So uh, a very good uh, platform is KDP. If you go to KDP Publishing and they will give you exactly the steps which you have to follow for your self-publishing, whether it is your text or its cover or everything, beautifully given. So if you follow the stages, you can easily self-publish your book. And of course, whatever is sold, the money from that sales comes directly to you through KDP. I'm not sure about the other self-publishing platforms. I know about KDP because a lot of my friends have published on that and they have found it an extremely easy to use platform and um, uh, very um, transparent. Okay. If anybody wants to self-publish, I would recommend KDP to them. The other kind of publishing is called vanity publishing, where uh, publishing houses, they will publish your book once you give them a certain amount of money. So they have these uh, different packages. So the most, I mean, the highest package would include, you know, the development editing, the proofreading, their copy editing, as well as the cover design, as well as probably marketing online and maybe in bookshops. So that would cost the most in any publishing house, which is offering up vanity publishing packages. And I think the least one would be the where editing is not done and they would just lay out your book, typeset it and maybe do the cover design. And that's it. Marketing or selling it and everything is your responsibility. Okay. So these are the two ways that self-publishing can happen. But a lot of people, they go in for the cheaper, I would say, vanity publishing. So the books that come out are often unedited. And Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, you know, they're not really so readable. You have provided a clear overview of the developmental editing phase, highlighting its significant value for the authors in effecting meaningful improvements in their books. The concept of vanity publishing is indeed intriguing. However, I believe readers still place a premium on the brand names of established publishing houses, and hence traditional publishing remains the preferred choice for most authors, largely due to credibility and recognition it offers. As I always tell people, writing is one is a completely different world from getting your writing published. That is a totally different world. So you really have to know the process, how to uh, navigate that world to get your book published. And literary agents can help you. Absolutely. We have been discussing various aspects of starting a career as an author. Now, could I request you to share your personal journey, like transitioning from a corporate career to becoming an author? 
and additionally if you could tell us about your books and the process of bringing them to life okay so i um, i think my dream to become an author started when i was very small very little because i was a voracious reader even maybe as a 6 or 7 year old and i loved reading books and what my mother tells me is that you know i have a younger brother so my brother and myself with other friends would get around to stage plays for our parents to see oh. and but somebody had to write those plays so apparently i don't remember any of it but my mother says that i used to write those plays on these old um, school uh, notebooks and uh, then we would stage the play and then that notebook would be lying here and there so my mother used to collect those notebooks and keep them and i think she also may have dreamt that one day maybe her daughter will write but yes my dream grew from then that i, I wanted to see my name in print i wanted people to read my stories and come to know what i wanted to say so that dream always stayed with me and i used to keep writing poems and stories you know in a diary kind of a thing as i grew up and maybe that also moved me into the direction of doing my honors in english literature and my post graduation as well in english literature and while i was studying also i would keep writing i would keep reading about other uh, writers and i kept on reading of course uh, but as they say once i finished my education i was into the career so my husband used to have a transfer transferable job he was an army officer so i would be moving to different places and most of the places were very remote there were not really cities where i could pick up a job in a office so the best way was to start teaching in a school and that's what i did for about 25 years i was teaching in schools all over india and i loved being with children and teaching them and also you know sort of trying to imbibe in them the love of literature of books that was my first love my my passion then when we were in delhi i got an offer from a publishing house oxford university press and i moved into publishing as a career but i was again publishing educational uh, curriculum so i i designed a lot of series english elt series as they called english languages for schools and even today i think many of the books are still being used still being prescribed in uh, schools so i stayed for 7 years with oxford university press and then i moved to encyclopedia britannica encyclopedia britannica had just come to india and they did not have educational vertical so they invited me to set up their educational vertical and that is what i did till 2014 when i was a director of publishing with uh, britannica and i was still writing but then i really had this feeling that if i did not now write and publish it it may never happen my dream may never come true so in 2014 i dropped my corporate job and started writing seriously to publish though i did not know whether anybody would care to read what i write and care to publish what i write and while i was writing my first book which was a psychological thriller this is the book called dangle that is a time when the times of india bloated their right india campaign and like so many other writers i also submitted my short story in the first month which was the month in which amish tripathi had given his prompt and that month i think of something like 8000 writers submitted their stories all over india and um, i won the first prize there it was unbelievable completely surreal to me but that prize gave me a huge boost i was so confident that okay people do read my writing and amish tripathi personally met me and told me that your story brought tears to my eyes 
Oh, nice. That's wonderful. Yeah. So that really made my day and gave me such a boost, you know. And uh, so I came out with my first book, which was Dangle. Thankfully, I found a publisher, Readomania Publishers, who decided to publish it. And that book was nominated for the Best Book Debut by Anupam Kher Big Book Debut Awards. So I started off with that book. And then I thought to myself that now that I've started this journey, I must like at least publish one book a year. So my next book that I published was Padmavati. Queen tells her own story. And so this is the book. Basically, my uh, two favorite genres are historical fiction and thrillers. So I decided that these are the two uh, genres I must start writing in because those are the ones I know the best since I have been reading them so much. Padmavati has always been one of my, my dream queen as such. So I started with Padmavati and I think even today Padmavati is selling pretty well in the market. After Padmavati, I started the Invader series. So I started off with The Legend of Genghis Khan about the Mongolian conqueror. Of course, historical fiction means a lot of research. So I would spend at least two, three months researching, you know, through documentaries, through books, blogs, anything, films. For Padmavati, I went to Chittorgarh, spoke to people over there, uh, recorded a lot of what they said. So a lot of time goes in, into the research uh, when I'm writing a historical fiction. So I did Genghis Khan. And the next one, uh, next invader was uh, The Curse of Nadesh Shah. Mm -hmm. So that was the next one. And I still have to write the third one of the invaders. In the meanwhile, 2021, when the COVID lockdown was happening, no books were getting published. They couldn't be printed at all. So that is the time I published two books on Kindle. So they were both anthologies. One was an anthology of thrillers called Out of the Blue. And the second was an anthology of stories which touch your heart, which is called The Anatomy of Affection. So these were the two anthologies I published. And once, you know, print publishing opened, I quickly published two books actually the same year. So the first one was The Cursed Inheritance, which is a thriller for young readers. And the second one was translation of a very famous Bangla book called Thakuma Chuli. So this book is called Princesses, Monsters and Magical Creatures. So the book from which it has been translated was published 100 years ago. And its foreword is written by Tagore. Oh, nice. Yeah. And he writes, I'm so happy that Dakshina Mitra Manjumdar, that is the name of the writer, he will come out with this book because this book will bring the heritage of our country closer to young hearts. And that was the time when the freedom movement was at its peak. And he said, even small children will be able to feel that passion and love for their motherland. And actually, that is also the reason why I have translated it into English because today the children are so used to reading fairy tales and writings by authors from the west that they don't know anything about the heritage of our own country. Our regional tales are so rich. My goal and purpose and dream is to expose our children to regional literature and you know there were so many grandparents who wrote to me and said our grandchildren don't read Bangla. I'm so happy that you have translated this into English. Now they will know those stories which we have read in Bangla as small children in English. And there was a lady who was settled in Canada who's from Bangladesh. She wrote to me on Facebook saying, I'm so happy that you've published this book. I'm presenting it to my grandchildren. So it has been read all over the world. In fact, wherever I think there are Bengalis or people from, I mean, anybody who speaks Bangla. 
So that was a, really a dream come true. And after that, I come out with a nonfiction book, which is called The Birth of My Nation, Tracing India's Nationhood. This is again a book which is based on the history of India. It's about the integration of India, something that is not taught in the social studies curriculum at schools. So that is why I thought that let me expose our students to this. And this book has been picked up as a supplementary reader in many schools. About five or six schools have picked it up as a supplementary reader for their own students to read. Nice. So that has been my journey. And um, I think I'm waiting to write more because writing is really a passion with me and uh, writing in different genres. So I've written children's fiction. I've written nonfiction as well as historical fiction and thrillers. So let's see what I would want to write next. Looking forward to new and interesting reads. Your ability to adapt and utilize different publishing methods, particularly during the pandemic, is really impressive. Can you shed light on your approach to research for your historical fiction books? And what is the primary purpose of this research? When I write historical fiction, my purpose is to draw my reader into that period. Mm -hmm. So when I have to draw my reader into that period, I must totally recreate that environment. And I have to recreate it through the cuisine that was eaten at that time, the clothes that were worn, the language that was spoken, the kind of attitudes that people had. So all that has to be, that entire world has to be recreated. And how can I recreate it until I myself know that? I'll give you one very small example. You know, when I was writing Padmavati, there was this Rana, there is the, the entire royal family, and they have so many people who are working for them in the palace itself. Now, I was confused as to how did those people address the royal family. I could not get that exact address. And here I was at Udaipur, and I was watching the Sonnet Lumaire at the Udaipur palace, and I heard the word. Okay. You know, these small things actually create the atmosphere, create the ambience. That's always been my purpose because history has to be recreated for it to become interesting, to come alive. History is not something that is dead. It happened in the past. We don't have to think about it. No, it's very much there around us. We have to just look for it. Shifting gears to another aspect of your journey, transitioning from a full-time career to becoming an author likely entailed a significant initial income adjustment. Was that difficult initially? Uh, a little difficult, maybe, yes, to adjust. But I had to some extent financially prepared myself. Mm -hmm. And I live in Delhi. So going out of the house, going to the office every day is a very expensive thing itself. Because commuting is very long and you have all the infrastructure that you have to maintain. So once I was at home and I didn't have to go out so much, so that expense, of course, reduced, no doubt about that. But at the same time, while I was um, writing my book, mm -hmm. you know, which about which I was passionate, the publishing industry, the educational publishing industry did not leave me alone. Okay. okay. They would keep calling me up and tapping me for their educational projects. So I was also at the same time doing consistently educational projects. Some, some of them was content. Some of them uh, was authorship. So I also wrote an ELT series for a publisher at that time. I also was doing a lot of editorial projects. Freelancing. Freelancing, absolutely. So I was also, I mean, there was, you know, there was an earning potential that I had, even though I was uh, at home and I was writing, I, I was also doing this on the side. And uh, in fact, in 2018, 
a publishing house, which is UPS Learning. They called me, they first called me and said that, please come and consult with us, you know, set up our complete content division. And I started consulting and then they wanted me full-time. And so I became a full-time employee with them, though I continued to write, of course. But with them, I have also, you know, launched last year ELT series. So this was the book. So here is the book. It's called The English Tree. So I have also written eight book series with them. And that is also being prescribed in schools all over India right now. Okay. You have maintained your connection with the school curriculum you used to create in collaboration with publishers, preserving that valuable background. And reflecting on your journey, it becomes apparent that for individuals aspiring to embark on their path to publishing and writing, Exploring supplementary income streams is a prudent step. Right. So, and you know, there are many things that anybody who wants to write can do. So I'll give you a few career options that they don't need. I mean, they can do it freelance. One of them is copywriting for a lot of advertising companies. Today, companies are looking at people who are language experts to write invitations, to write ads, to write sometimes stories for their ads. You know, there's something called edutainment or something like that. So they write stories for that kind of a thing because people are, apparently people are more engaged with stories than with an advertisement. So they are all the time looking for these kind of language experts. So that is something that a person can do as a freelancer. The other thing that they're looking for is to give their employees soft skills, which are language skills, which means how do you write a business letter? How do you write an email? How do you write an advertisement and so on? There, I mean, there are people who, who are working in corporates, but they, their language skills are really not up to the mark. How do you answer a telephone, you know, a call? What is it that you begin a call with and so on? So that is another job that, you know, a person with language skills can do. Of course, there is instructional designing which is again something that they can pick up. But for that, you do need to do the uh, course on instructional designing and only then you can become an instructional designer. Editing is, of course, a very good way of earning money. I mean, people, we were just speaking about the fact that there are people who write books and then they want it to be edited. So before even giving it to a a publishing house, many uh, authors want to hire an editor and get their work edited and then give it. So that is again a means of earning. So different forms of freelance work that you can do alongside your book writing. Absolutely. You mentioned about translating Thakumar Julie and it's so interesting because if I talk about myself, I can read Bengali, but I still prefer English because Bengali takes me a little bit of time to read. So if a Bengali book is translated to English, that opens up the doors for me. There is such rich work available in Bengali language and I would want to read those only if those are available in English. I know there are many other readers like me. So that brings another stream of work. If you are good in your regional language and you're good in English, translation can become another stream of work, right? Absolutely. It's not just regional languages. Uh, A lot of languages, uh, European languages are also being translated in India. So if you um, know any of the European languages and you are good at English, you can also freelance with publishing houses because publishing houses now have a department which are doing only translations. So you can contact them. And if you're good at that particular language, it could be Russian, German, any of these languages, Spanish. So a lot of work is getting translated into English and a lot of it is being done here in India. So that's a good news. 
when it comes to translating a book, I believe it's not mere literary translation, right? Each piece of text has to convey a specific message. That is the original author's intent. So there are two ways of doing it. One is called transliteration. There you are doing a literal translation. And the other is translation. So when you're doing translation, it's not literal translation. Basically, you are translating the ambience, the thought, the voice of the author into a different language. While I was doing the translation of Thakuma Chuli, which is a children's literature, so obviously the language is not, I mean, the Bangla language in it is not difficult. And I thought it would be cakewalk because I know Bangla and I know English, but it was not. It was pretty challenging because while both the languages, both Bangla and English are both very difficult. Uh, evolved languages, but they have their own nuances, they have their own metaphor. And it was very tough to translate from Bangla to English uh, while keeping the, you know, the basic idea, the basic feeling, the atmosphere, the voice of the author, and most importantly, the lyrical quality. And that is true for all our Indian languages. Our Indian languages are extremely melodious. The way our syllables move, it's very melodious, but that is not so much in English. So I had to retain that lyric, the melody. And if you've read Thakuma Chudi, there is a lot of poetry in it. And I had to translate that poetry as well. Keeping the meaning, keeping the lyric, keeping the cadence of all the syllables in it. And I'm telling you, uh, Mohua, there were times when I could not do it. So I kept the original Bangla words, something okay. like Rakhosh. And kokush, there is simply no translation of that. So I kept those words. So there were words like that. They were also, you know, something like the sound of a conch shell. Mm. What is the alliteration that will give the sound? You will not believe I blew conch shells myself. And they suddenly realized it is the sound of om. Okay. If you say om in a, you know, stretch it, that is the sound of the conch shell. And it's such a typical common sound that we hear in India. I mean, it doesn't matter which state you are in or where you are in India. Conscious are something that are blown all over India for any auspicious occasion. And in Bengal, it's very much a part of the daily routine impact. So I, I had to bring it in, into the book. And that is why, uh, you know, I had to find out what is the sound? What, how does it sound? Because after all, this book is meant for children, maybe at the ages between six and 10. And that is a time when chants, when the sound words, when alliteration is so musical to them. So I had to have that in the book. So interesting. When I think about poetry versus a book translation, I believe poetry translation would be far more difficult compared to translating a book. Absolutely. It's very, very difficult when you're translating. And the poetry in Thakuma Chuli, it is very much connected to the story. So it's a part of the story. It's not isolated from the story. So through the, uh, the poem, which is there, the story moves forward. So the poem has to have all the elements, you know, that are there already in the story. So it's very, very difficult when you're translating. Thank you, Shutupa, for sharing your valuable insights with us today. This discussion has been incredibly informative. Thank you, Mohua, for having me and the learner me as well. And it has been a very interesting discussion with you. Thank you so much. As we wrap up today's episode, I sincerely hope that you have found this conversation both valuable and enlightening. 
Your feedback and comments are greatly appreciated. So please feel free to share your thoughts. If you have enjoyed this discussion, don't forget to hit the like button and do share it with friends, colleagues or anyone you believe could benefit from our conversation. Moreover, consider subscribing to our channel to receive notifications of upcoming discussions as soon as they are released. Your subscription ensures that you won't miss out on our future content. Thank you once again for tuning in. Wishing you a wonderful day ahead.